All right, three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Today is, oh, it's Monday, February something. I'm getting on a plane today. It is, um, wow, horrifying. It's 9 a.m., and at 12, I'm leaving for the airport, getting on a plane, going to New York City uh, for the rest of the week. And that's horrifying because it means i got to record everything between now and 12 when I leave for the airport. <laughs> i got to record all the week's worth of content, which is going to be... Uh, I don't know how that's possible. I'm not even packed. It's going to be a mess. It's going to be a nightmare. But hey, I'm going to do it. I'm going to get out the door, go to the plane, and let's see what happens. Uh, I am also encouraged to remind you guys that Strong Opinion Sports is more than a YouTube channel. A lot of people believe that, hey, Zach, you're a YouTuber. I'm also, by the way, a podcast host. (laughs) A lot of people don't realize that. That's okay. Uh, Strong Opinion Sports is also a podcast. It's on iTunes. It's on SoundCloud. It's on Spotify. Everywhere you can find a podcast, an audio-only podcast, the show is there. So I encourage you, if you listen to podcasts, please go subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports, iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, yada, yada. Give it a review. That would be great. And I want to jump into the show. Today's episode is all about week three of the XFL. And I want to just start with this rant because I feel very strongly. I have now watched three weeks of XFL football. And it is phenomenal. I love it. I'm all in. And the more I watch, the more I'm sold. It's just a phenomenal, phenomenal product. And I think a lot of people lack vision for what the XFL could eventually become. Here's the big if. It's the biggest test the XFL is going to run into. Can the league get to year two? Can they get to their second year? And really, more importantly, will Vince McMahon, the owner of the XFL, will he stay committed to the league? Because after three weeks, I got to say, three weeks in, man, it's an excellent product. I love it so much. It's so much fun. I just enjoy watching it. And I truly believe a lot of people are missing out. I know there are people that don't watch this league. And I think they're missing out on a great product. It's phenomenal. And one of the weirdest criticisms I've seen of the XFL is... Media members saying that, you know, the talent isn't good enough. And it's so weird to me that people can say, the talent is bad. Oh, but we're going to go watch a really crappy college football game. I don't, I don't get it. I, the, the XFL is better talent than 97% of college football games. And really, even then, like, if you go watch LSU Alabama, sure, there's four NFL players on the field. But the rest of the guys probably still couldn't play in the XFL. Like, nobody seems to understand the XFL is actually a higher level of competition than college football. Yet I see people in the media going, oh, the players in the XFL are bad. Well, you watch college football and those guys are, quote, bad. So to me, what it sounds like is people are just complaining that, oh, uh, it's not the NFL. I want the NFL. If you want the NFL, that's fine. But own that. Don't, criti- don't make empty criticisms that are just weird to me. It doesn't make any sense. Also, by the way, the XFL is something that I love. There's no NCAA nonsense. And more importantly to me, there's no gigantic physical mismatches. It's great. For the most part, all eight XFL teams can play. Yeah, sure. For example, on, uh, we do have a blowout occasionally where a team outsmarts another team. For example, on Sunday, the 
winless, the 0-2 LA Wildcats dominated the undefeated DC Defenders. And it was great. They won 39-9. And what does that show us? You know, it's not a blowout where one team is physically dominating. It's not Alabama versus New Mexico State. I hate that matchup. It drives me nuts. College football has that thing. Hey, Alabama is physically way better than New Mexico State. New Mexico State will never beat Alabama. But here we had an underdog, the LA Wildcats, surprising everybody, dominating the undefeated D.C. defenders. They won 39-9. to What does that show us? The XFL has parity. Anybody can beat anybody. I love that. That's phenomenal. I don't know. And again, if you want to say you prefer the NFL, go ahead and say that. But don't make, empty, don't make empty claims about the talent pool. Again, if you watch college football, then you clearly like football with lesser talent. That's ridiculous. Now, honestly, I prefer the XFL to college football. I know that's very crazy and outside the box. I'm the only person probably that feels that way. But man, I, actually, I can't be the other. There's got to be other people out there that really enjoy the XFL product. I know I'm not alone. It's so well structured. It's so fun. The way the, they, they've organized this league is like they said, hey, screw all the extra noise. Screw all the stupid rules, this and that. Let's just let the guys play. And you can tell the XFL does not want to throw penalty flags. They don't want to do it. There was a little scrum in the St. Louis-New York game. And the refs just separated the guys. No flags were thrown. A little pushing and shoving. No big deal. Let's just carry on. Continue the game. No big deal. Let's play ball. The refs never get in the way of football. And I love that. I miss that. And they're super transparent. There was a play that was getting reviewed. And we're like, hey, I don't understand why that happened. So the broadcasters literally interviewed the guy who made the decision live on the game. The guy who made the call said, hey, he gave himself up. It was in the... The Houston Roughnecks game where P.J. Walker dives forward, he gives himself up. And the, the official that made the call, hey, the reason why that's not a fumble and he doesn't need to be touched down is because he was giving himself up the same as if he'd slid. Makes total sense. I love it. I like the parody. I like hearing what's going on behind the scenes. It makes sense. The XFL is fun celebrations. I saw a player with a leopard print glove. Hey, in the NFL, if you have a leopard print glove, you get fined. The XFL says, who cares? It's fun. It's personality. No big deal. Let the guy play. He's not hurting anybody with his silly leopard print glove. I love it. The XFL is designed for football to be fun and not interrupted by silly nonsense. I love it. And all the refs, by the way, I love it. The refs are college refs, meaning that they're happy to do the XFL because they only work normally during the fall. By doing XFL football, they're able to work during the spring as well, get more money, they're happy. Now, here's the key to all of this. The XFL needs to stick around. Getting to year two would be a gigantic, gigantic milestone for the league. Because they need to prove that they're stable. Hey, we're here and we're here to stay. They need to prove themselves. Vince McMahon... Hopefully, I, I am praying, views the XFL as an investment. If you build it, they will come. Now, a lot of people are skeptical. If the XFL got to year two, though, then I believe a lot of people would open their minds. Oh, this isn't just a flash in the pan. Oh, this league 
is here to stay. You would not let a guy who's never built a house build a house for you. Why would you trust that guy with any of your money, any of your resources? No way. You'd never done it. Why would I trust you? But once you've proven you've built a couple houses, hey, maybe that guy can build me a house. Same way with the XFL. Once the XFL proves that it's a stable thing, that entity that can last, I think a lot of people are going to come to the fold, players and fans and coaches. Yeah, fans will say, hey, I trust it now. I'll put my emotional investment into this league. I'll watch a couple games. But players, here's what's interesting, man. Players are going to finally trust it. And, and by the way, if the XFL goes away, I'm going to be very disappointed. I love this league. I'm so excited. I enjoy it so much. But a lot of people are sitting, waiting around, wondering, what's going to happen here? Coaches, players, fans. Now, Kenny Robinson might be the most important story in the entire XFL. He plays for the St. Louis Battlehawks. He's a safety. And he left college early. He went to West Virginia. He's one season away, one year away from being eligible for the NFL draft. But he had an academic issue last fall. Couldn't play. So what he did is he left college and went to the XFL. Kenny Robinson is a potential first-round pick in the NFL draft. And he is proof that, hey, a really talented player could leave college football and go succeed in the XFL. Now, he came to the XFL because he had to. He had an academic issue. He literally could not play in college. But if the XFL proves, hey, we're a stable organization that can last, then other college football players could come and try to follow his path, even if they don't need to. It could change what people do. Here, you know, there's a kid out there in biology class right now who hates his homework and just wants to play football that looks at what Kenny Robinson is doing and going, man, that dude gets to just go to practice, gets to just watch film and play football. He doesn't have to worry about an English paper or math homework. He gets to just play football and he's getting paid pretty solid money. Not a ton of money, but more money than I have now. You know what? I had a great freshman year. I'm, a, I'm all conference. I'm really good. I'm going to go make some money and go play professional football in the XFL. Screw this English paper. Screw my math homework. I'm telling you, just watch. If the XFL can prove that it's a stable organization, it will happen. 19-year-olds out there, 19-year-old players, don't want to deal with biology homework. Don't want to deal with that paper or math class. They want to play football. So to do that, to get to play football all the time and get paid to do it, a lot of guys would do that. A lot of guys would pursue that opportunity. Now I go back to this. I prefer the XFL to college football. I would rather watch a league. You know, I'd, I'd rather watch the XFL to scout new players and who, who are the new young talented guys. If that all happened in the XFL rather than on college campuses, I would way prefer that. That sounds like a much more fun experience to me. And it's a higher level of talent than college football. That's what people miss about the XFL. They criticize the talent and don't understand, hey, the guys here are pretty good. Now, here's the angle in my head. Uh, The XFL as a league, I've met some executives. They probably wouldn't like that I say this. That's okay. I mean, no offense to you guys. But currently, the NFL and the XFL are not actually competitors. 
There's no way. The NFL is not threatened by the XFL in the slightest. They don't care. They go, hey, you have a fraction of our fan base. You have a fraction of our income. We don't care. We're the NFL. We're not threatened by you, you little puny league that can't even play at the same time of year as us. No offense to the XFL. I lo- Me, Zach Schaumler, love the XFL, but the NFL's not threatened at all by what's happening every Saturday and Sunday right now this time of year. So the NFL might not be scared, but the NCAA might be. The NCAA college football goes, ooh, they're cutting into our market. They might take some of our players. Some of our talented players could potentially go play for them and get paid rather than stay with us. Now, regardless, whether that happens or not, I want to repeat this one thing. A lot of people are missing out. The XFL is really, really fun. Quality football is happening every weekend. And it's well put together. I love it. I love this league. The XFL is phenomenal. And if you haven't watched it, I recommend it. It's great. If you love football, the, the mantra, for the love of football, it's awesome. There was, I was at the Seattle Seahawks, uh, Seattle Dragons game, excuse me. I was at the Seattle Dragons game last Saturday. And a uh, player grabs a mic, yells to the crowd. Like the new thing is, hey, what's up, Seattle? How you doing? And he said, we're here because we all love football. That's why we do this. And I was like, man, that's honest. He could have said, we're here for the fans. We do this for the fans. But that'd be a lie. A football player doesn't care about the people watching the game. Not really, as long as they get paid. Or as long as they get whatever they need out of it, right? As long as their family's there or whatever. You don't care about random Joe Schmo in the stands. Not really. But what was honest about the XFL and the, the whole point of the XFL is the entire league is a celebration of the great game of football. That's it. At the heart of things, that is what makes the XFL so special. I want to see if the XFL gets to year two. If they do, they're going to gain credibility. And then it could do some cool stuff. Could grow. Could you know, build a fan base. You got, this is one, we're one year in, this is part of, you know, we're like three weeks into year one and it's an investment. I, I have no idea what's going on behind the scenes financially. I really don't. I would assume they're not making a ton of money and I don't know how it works, but if they're totally eating it, I would hope even if that's the case, they stick with it because there is a future here. Their product is great. And if they get to year two and prove, Hey, we're stable, we have credibility, I think people will come. Players, coaches, fans, coaches who don't want to deal with academics, players who don't want to deal with biology class, and fans that go, hey, I'm ready to start investing in this you know, emotionally, even I'll buy a jersey because, hey, it looks like you're going to last. What no one wants to do is buy a jersey and then you know, the league is gone next year. That would suck. Or get your favorite team, you're all excited, and then you're heartbroken because your favorite team disappears. But if the XFL can get to year two, it's a giant, giant step forward. You got over the hump. That's what I want to see from the XFL. There is a new star player in the XFL. He's a tight end for Dallas. His name is Donald Par- uh, Parham. He's six foot eight, 22 years old. He is an unbelievable talent. He's basically a receiver who lines up at tight end. What that means is that he's a receiver who's being guarded by linebackers. He's a six foot eight, quick, speedy dude who's being guarded by 
linebackers who are not the fastest, not the best athletes, fairly good, but not the quickest athletes on the field. And he looks like Jimmy Graham. He's phenomenal. Donald Parham is incredible. I watched him live and in person week three in Seattle. He had five catches for 101 yards, two touchdowns, including a 65-yard touchdown where he put on the burners and got behind everybody and ran. Nobody could catch him. I was like, oh my gosh, Donald Parham, who are you? I Googled him. (laughs) He went to Stetson University, a tiny little school in Florida. He's fast. He's huge. He can catch. He's a star. He's going to be playing in the NFL. He will. Donald Parham, absolutely. And uh, the NFL scouts kind of missed him. They just did. It's just honest truth. Um, I don't blame them. It's tough. There are so many guys. It's easy to miss a guy. He did play briefly for the Lions. Looks like the Lions understood who he was. Uh, but, hey, he wasn't probably as good as he is now. I'm sure he got better between now between getting cut by the Lions and now. And, uh, again, playing at that tiny school, Stetson University in Florida, he wasn't on a lot of guys' radars. But I'm telling you, Donald Parham, I've met him. He's a massive man. He's quick. He's got a deep, booming voice. He is. Not that that matters. Just interesting tidbit. He's an NFL tight end. Donald Parham, if a team like the New Orleans Saints, look, he's not going to block anybody. You don't expect that from him. He's Jimmy Graham. You post him up. You use him as a receiving tight end. That's what he can do, and he will do that. At the NFL level, I am very certain that he's 22 years old. He's got nothing but potential. He's going to be better in two years. Donald Parham is an NFL tight end and currently an XFL star. All right. um, I want to talk about the LA Wildcats, what happened to them in week three. I'm going to gloat a little bit. The LA Wildcats started the year 0-2. And after a loss last week, I said, hey, relax, be patient, give it time. They got a good quarterback who's getting better, and I love the Wildcats coach, Winston Moss. Now, week three, what happened? I got a gloat. I'll tell you. I was right. I don't do that very often. I very rarely go, hey, I knew this would happen, but I'm telling you, I knew this. I was like, I got this one right. The LA Wildcats destroyed the DC defenders out of nowhere. Nobody expected them to be good. (laughs) They beat the DC defenders 39-9. to And the biggest takeaway, this is what's wild. This is what I didn't expect, right? I was like, the quarterback's good. The defense is fine. No, the defense isn't just fine. Oh my goodness. Nobody could have predicted this, man. The defense, I've never seen a defense play the way that the LA Wildcats defense did this past weekend. They were mean. They were nasty. They were hitting hard. It was vicious. They were getting really chippy. Talking smack constantly. And they played great coverage. What they did is they forced the D.C. Defenders quarterback, Cardell Jones, to make incredible throws in really tight windows. That was the only way he was going to beat them. And guess what? Cardell Jones was not able to do that. Cardell Jones couldn't deliver when it mattered. In that big moment when he needed to be basically a superstar, couldn't make it happen. I really want to credit the Wildcats coach, Winston Moss. You know, after week one, they lost. He fired the defensive coordinator. He got rid of a bunch of players. Got rid of Chad Kanoff, the guy who started the quarterback at the game. Uh, he was the starting quarterback week one, not on the roster week two. Said, now nah, we're done. You were yelling at coaches, not putting up with that. 
Get rid of Anthony Johnson, one of their captains. Traded him away to D.C. Said, nah, you're good, but you're not my guy. I want my guys who buy into my culture and listen and fight. And he stuck to that. He said, hey, I'm going to bring in my kind of guys. And it worked. Oh, my gosh, it worked. I can't believe it. I go, really? That's pretty special what happened in L.A. on Sunday. And then, of course, the quarterback, Josh Johnson, got better. He's an NFL veteran of 12 seasons. He played for 13 NFL teams. He didn't play week one because he was hurt. He played you know, week two last week, was okay. Week three, played even better, played really, really good, actually. Josh Johnson's phenomenal. I knew he was going to get better with more reps. He's, he's got a great decision maker. He's got good leadership ability, made good plays. He can move. He can throw the ball really well. Threw a couple back shoulder fades. I was like, wow. That's a really accurate, that's a great throw. Josh Johnson was 18 for 25 passing and 278 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. And three games in, LA is one and two, but they are a really good football team. They might be one and two. Their record is not reflective of the team. We've seen LA become a better team every single week I've watched them. And I'm telling you, the LA Wildcats have an opportunity to make the playoffs. They're that good. Pay attention to them. Them or the Dallas Renegades are going to get that, that final spot in the, the West Conference of the XFL. You know, two, two from the West, two from the East make it into the playoffs. And man, it's going to be really close between LA and Dallas. They're both good football teams. And uh, I'm telling you, pay attention to the LA Wildcats. They are not awful. They've got a great coach. they got only players now that buy into that system. They got a great quarterback. Pay attention to the LA Wildcats in the XFL. They're one and two, but they're better than their record would show. How about DC? During week three of the XFL season, the DC Defenders lost 39 to 9 to the LA Wildcats. It was wild. The score was 27 to 3 at halftime. They were getting their butts kicked. What happened? Here's the key. First of all, a lot of things went wrong. They struggled on defense. They had some special teams errors, but the biggest problem with the D.C. Defenders on Sunday was their quarterback, Cardell Jones. L.A.'s defense was phenomenal. They played really good coverage, and what they did was say, hey, we are going to provide really small throwing lanes. If you're going to throw the ball against us, you're going to have to be really accurate, really precise, and have efficient, phenomenal timing. You can beat us if you want, but you'd better be a really, really good NFL quarterback on top of stuff if you are. And Cardell Jones couldn't do it. Cardell Jones could not make it happen in its really tight pa- in really tight windows, really tight throwing lanes. There were some throws that were open, not very many, but they were there, and he couldn't deliver. He hesitated a lot. It's like he didn't quite trust what he saw all the time. Looked uncomfortable in the pocket, made some bad decisions. Wasn't good. He was 13 for 26 passing, only 103 yards total, and four interceptions. Four interceptions for Cardell Jones. DC got dominated. Offense, defense, special teams, all of it. It was bad. They had a punt blocked. But the key to me, the reason why DC had this awful game was because their quarterback looked out of rhythm, out of sync, looked like he didn't trust it. Cardell Jones kept hesitating and just looked completely off the entire night. And that cost them the game against L.A. How about the Seattle Dragons? I was there. It was fun. The Seattle Dragons lost to the Dallas Renegades 24-12 on Saturday. Good game. The crowd was loud. 
was entertaining. And number one, we got to talk about Steven Johnson. The dude is legit. He's a linebacker who plays for the Dragons. He leads the XFL in tackles. He has 20 tackles on the season. He had nine on Saturday against Dallas. He had 14 combined on Saturday. And uh, it's unreal. He's just, he's literally everywhere. Every time you watch somebody get tackled, Steven Johnson is there leading the charge. It's really impressive. And the Dragons' defense on Saturday made a lot of plays. They had two interceptions. They had a, a forced fumble. Three total takeaways. But the offense couldn't capitalize enough in Seattle. That's the problem. Here's the issue. Quarterback Brandon Silvers has not been good enough. It's painful. That stinks. It's also honest. Now, he does slowly get better and better every single week I watch him. He had a couple good plays. His early touchdown was great. Brandon Silvers hung in the pocket, got hit as he threw, stepped up through the ball over the middle, threw a touchdown pass. Well done. He also had a couple plays where he had a great play on third and six where he started on the right side of the field, worked all the way through his progression, found a curl route in the zone coverage. It was phenomenal. Found a window, cover three, corner bailed. He threw the ball short into the window between the two safeties. I don't know how to explain it better than that. It was phenomenal. I was like, oh, man, that's good stuff. Brandon, you're making progress. You're getting better. The problem is he's very slowly making progress. Too slow. It's time. You got to get going. You got to get going. We're ready. The Dragons need you. Your team needs you now. He's still making far. He's making better decisions, but still too many bad decisions. Too many inaccurate throws where guys are open. And he's got an out route, a 10-yard out route. Just misses out of bounds. Nowhere near the guy. Like, Brandon, what are you doing? Brandon, you're talented. I know you can make that throw. Why are you missing that throw? It's like, what's happening, man? You're so inconsistent. And it's the problem is not Jim Zorn. Jim Zorn, the head coach, is great. He's patient. He's kind. He's very, you know, I, I was concerned about his, his uh, what do you call it? I was concerned about Jim Zorn's communication early on week one. I figured out what happened. Jim, you know, Mike Riley was supposed to be the offensive coordinator of the Dragons. Well, he's not. Jim Zorn is. But they kept the, the initial verbiage from that old system. So guess what? Jim Zorn was learning verbiage. And basically, it's like trying to speak a language that is not your first language. That's what was happening week one when Jim Zorn was struggling with communication. It wasn't because he's a bad coach. It wasn't because he's a bad communicator. It was because he was literally trying to remember the words because it was someone else's verbiage. It wasn't his offense. It was someone else's. And he's been adapting to the team because Jim Zorn learning the verbiage is better than his players learning different verbiage. That would Does that make sense? I don't know if that makes any sense. I'm sure that's confusing for people. If your entire team speaks Spanish, you should speak Spanish rather than forcing your entire team to learn English. That's kind of what happened week one. But since then, Jim Zorn's communication has been phenomenal. He did the work. He did the research. Jim Zorn's communication has been much better week two and three than it was week one. Jim Zorn is not the problem. The problem is the quarterback. I think he's getting good coaching. The honest question is, does Brandon Silvers understand the opportunity he's been given? And that's harsh, but that's honest. Because the patience is wearing thin. He's costing his team wins. And you know what happens when you win a game in the XFL? You get a bonus check. You make more money. Now, here's the other problem. Brandon, Brandon Silvers makes 10 times the amount of money 
as the rest of his teammates. He might not care about the bonus check. He's like, ah, that's two grand. I don't need that. I make, more, I make more money than everybody here. He doesn't need that. This Brandon Silvers, I, I hate to say this, is he coasting a little bit? Hey, I'm the quarterback in Seattle, man. I'm rich. I'm young, 25 years old in Seattle. I'm the quarterback. I'm the man. Is that enough for him? I don't, is he, how hungry is Brandon Silvers? Because his progress isn't enough. He's got to make better progress quickly. Now, I'll give him a pass for week three. Last week, we'll give him a pass. Next week, I'm going to be a lot harsher. I'm setting, what, the reason why I'm saying all this now is because I'm setting this up for if Brandon Silvers doesn't get better, then we will be very harsh. Because there's some belief in the Dragons organization that Brandon Silvers could be doing more to prepare for games. He could be doing more behind the scenes to, to win, to help his team succeed. And the truth is that if Brandon Silvers does not improve very quickly, his team is not going to win more games. Brandon Silvers right now is the limiting factor in Seattle with the Seattle Dragons. Can the Dallas Renegades beat the Seattle Dragons 24-12 to on Saturday? I was there. It was fun. Quarterback Landry Jones was the story to me. Here's what happened. He got a little bit better this week than he was last week. Landry Jones is not perfect yet. I think he will be a lot better again in week eight than he was last week, than he was week two. Here's the story. Landry Jones has just needed more reps. The more he plays, the better he gets. You know, I saw an article. It was like the, I believe it was, it said like studs and duds. Can't remember who wrote that. Um, maybe Yard Barker. Whoever wrote that article was an idiot. An idiot. He goes, Landry Jones is a dud. And then he lists a bunch of stats. And stats are great. Like if you want to just use stats and not use any context. I think what happened is this guy wrote an article where he didn't watch the game at all. He looked at the box score after the game and decided, that's bad. You suck. Did you watch? Because week two was Landry Jones' first game in an XFL uniform playing. And he'd had two practices, all, uh, three practices all year. One at the beginning, got hurt, practiced twice that week. You know, Landry Jones has practiced six times in the last six weeks. That's not very many times. He's getting better. He's getting better. And all you can expect from Landry Jones is, hey, you know, week two was his first start. It was pretty bad. Week three was a lot better. Still had turnovers more than you want, but they won, and he was better. He'll be better week four, be better week five, even better week six. Landry Jones is on an upward trajectory. The more reps he gets, the better he is. So for someone to come out and say, he's terrible and sucks, have patience, man. Understand this scenario. Here's where Landry Jones needs to improve. He had four deep balls he missed on Saturday where the, the receiver was open, they beat their man, and he underthrew them. Or, in fact, one even got picked off. With one or two, I think two, I think they both got, I think both interceptions actually were on deep balls that Landry Jones missed inaccurately. Yeah, yes, it was actually. He had one down the left sideline, then one that was a, like a little bit behind the receiver that got tipped up in the air and got picked off by a safety over the middle. Landry Jones needs to connect on those. If he connects on those deep balls, two of them picked off, two of them just were underthrown and incomplete. If he connects on those deep balls, Landry Jones has a much, much different narrative. Nobody's calling him bad at that point. You also got to recognize Seattle led 12 to 6 at halftime, and Dallas came back. 
Here's what happened. Part of why Dallas was losing was they weren't running the ball very much. The way Dallas's offense works is you, li- you know, the offense lines up. You count how many guys are in the box, that area near the line of scrimmage, how many people are defending the run. And a lot of times in the first half, the answer was not enough. Meaning that, hey, we're on offense. We have six guys near the line of scrimmage. They only have five. We have six to block five. We should probably run the ball. Or we have, we have five guys and they have four. Or we have five on five. Take that matchup. A lot of times in the first half, the Dallas Renegades weren't running the ball and they probably should have. There were, at one point, they threw the ball. The Dallas Renegades threw the ball 17 plays in a row at one point, week three, in the first half. The big adjustment they made in the second half, started running the ball. They started, hey, let's count the box. How many people are there? We have an, we have an advantage. Let's run the ball. That's what made the difference for the Dallas Renegades. Now, we also have to, if we're going to talk about the Dallas Renegades, we have to talk about their star tight end, Donald Parham. A six foot eight receiving tight end. He's 22 years old. He had a 65 yard touchdown where he caught the ball, burned everybody. Nobody could catch him downfield. He had five catches for 101 yards and two total touchdowns. Donald Parham is an NFL tight end. He's a huge deal. He's a star in the XFL. I feel nothing but encouraged about the future of the Dallas Renegades. Landry Jones will get better. They're running the ball better. They have a great tight end. Their defense is really good. They've carried them a lot. I feel really good about the Dallas Renegades. They're better, and they're going to keep getting better as Landry Jones continues to get better at their quarterback. Okay, uh, the Houston Roughnecks won again. They're 3-0. They beat the Tampa Bay Vipers 34-27. They are the most fun team to watch in the entire XFL. And they are the worst team to talk about because they're so dominating. It's the same story every single week. Again, P.J. Walker was phenomenal. Again, you know, this week, he only had four touchdowns. Oh, (laughs) right. P.J. Walker's phenomenal. He was 24 for 36 passing, 306 yards, three passing touchdowns, one rushing touchdown, zero interceptions. He's unreal. How about some context, though? Here's what's really cool about the Houston Renegades. Number one, I love their jerseys. Not that that matters, but oh my goodness, their jerseys are gorgeous. But even cooler is that Houston was missing Two starting offensive linemen in this game. Two of them. Their center and their right tackle. Out. And P.J. Walker still was phenomenal. Still put up a lot of points. Still played great. That's what I'm talking about when I talk about the the value of P.J. Walker's mobility is you can put him behind a bad offensive line and he can still make plays. He can make a play where he avoids a sack, steps in the pocket, throws the ball vertically. It's pretty impressive. Now, he had a misread in the goal line. He had one play where I thought he should have taken an out route. Uh, he threw the ball to the end zone instead. There was a missed opportunity there. He even owned it. P.J. Walker is light years ahead of other guys in the XFL. He's an NFL quarterback. All it takes is listening to P.J. Walker briefly explain a decision he made where he, he broke it down and said, I was thinking this, the safety was here, this guy was there. He can explain in such detail so calmly. A lot of quarterbacks, this will surprise you, you hear an XFL quarterback, a guy like Brandon Silvers, can't actually explain what his thought process. You might kind of know it. You know it in the moment because you know it. But the better you know it, the easier it is for you to teach it to someone else. The fact that P.J. Walker can, in a very detailed manner, slowly talk you through his thought progression is a huge deal. P.J. Walker is an incredible, incredible quarterback. Mentally, 
and physically, he's a step above everybody else in the league. He will be the MVP. I think he's potentially an NFL quarterback. He deserves more respect than he's getting. We also got to talk about their number one receiver, Cam Phillips. He's unreal. He also, man, his stats were great. He had eight catches for 194 yards. Eight catches, 194 yards, three touchdowns for Cam Phillips, the receiver out of Houston. But it's not the stats that impress me. The stats are a result of this one thing, which is that he consistently beats man coverage. If you guard him one-on-one, he'll make you pay. He does it every single time. He runs great routes. He makes people look silly. And he's become the go-to guy in Houston. Whenever the Roughnecks need a play, whenever Houston says, hey, we need a third down conversion. We need a touchdown. We need a big play. They turn to Cam Phillips, and he regularly, almost all the time, delivers and makes that play happen. He's phenomenal. Houston is 3-0. They are the best team in the XFL. But there are teams that can keep up with them. I can't wait to watch Houston play L.A. Houston plays Dallas next week, and Landry Jones is getting better. Now, I don't know that Landry Jones is good. I think Landry Jones is more interesting against Dallas in like week eight, whenever they play the second time. But I'm telling you, watch Dallas, watch Houston. That's going to be a great game. And there are teams in this league that can keep up with P.J. Walker or at least score as many points. Can they keep up? I don't know. But the test of P.J. Walker is going to happen when they play other good offenses and he's required to go toe-to-toe with other good quarterbacks. I can't wait. It's going to be so much fun. And P.J. Walker is a phenomenal, phenomenal quarterback. Easily the best in the XFL, but you already knew that. The Tampa Bay Vipers are interesting. They're 0-3, but on Saturday they put up a great fight. They lost to Houston 34-27, to and if you told people going into that game they were going to score 27 points, you'd go, what? No way. That's not going to happen, but they did. Here's what's even weirder. You know, the Vipers not only had the lead 27-26 to with 12 minutes left in the fourth quarter, They did it by rotating quarterbacks, going back and forth between Taylor Cornelius and Quinton Flowers. And I want to say, everybody hates the head coach of the Vipers, Mark Trestman. They have for a long time. Ever since he was the Chicago Bears head coach, he's gotten a lot of hate, negativity, and awfulness. Number one, he's a good man. I've met him. You can tell. Some people, it leaks out of them. When someone's a really good human being, it just leaks out of them. I just I got a really good sense. Hey, this guy, Mark Trustman, we had a couple sentences back and forth. Very, very kind, caring individual who's a good person. So I really struggle. I'll be critical of Mark Trustman, but I will never attack him or be horrible because he's, he's a good dude. I've met, I've met him face-to-face. He's a nice person. And I feel kind of uncomfortable the way that people so easily just destroy him and are so awful. But number two, the fan criticism is flawed. The way people talk about him isn't quite right. You know, I, I feel so bad for Tampa Bay and their quarterback situation. I feel bad for Mark Trestman. The fans will say that Mark Trestman has no idea what he's doing with the quarterbacks. And, you know, he picked all bad quarterbacks. Not really true. You pick every position on your team in the XFL, except for one position, pretty much. Quarterbacks are kind of, quote, the word is allocated to you. He didn't choose Aaron Murray. Aaron Murray was given to him. And Aaron Murray is bad. And Aaron Murray is hurt. And Aaron Murray was supposed to be the guy in Tampa Bay. I don't think he is. I think he's pretty bad. 
and pretty problematic. The reality here is that Mark Trustman's kind of a victim of circumstance. He was given a bad quarterback, and now he's stuck with Taylor Cornelius to back up and Quinton Flowers. Mark Trustman kind of got screwed, and nobody thinks about it that way. None of his quarterbacks are that good. You know, they're trying to find a way to make it work. They did. They scored 27 points on Saturday. They've been swapping back and forth. Brandon Flowers, you know, sorry, Quinton Flowers, Taylor Cornelius. And Taylor Cornelius has a better arm. He's a better passer. And he has better moments. He's got some moments where you go, oh my gosh, Taylor Cornelius, that is a dime. He threw an out route late in the fourth quarter where I went, that's gorgeous. That, it looks like Jared Goff throwing the ball. It's like, wow. It's, it's like if Jared Goff threw a better spiral, that's what it would look like. Beautiful. But in the end, Taylor Cornelius, it's not physical ability that limits him. It's his mental ability. He's so inconsistent as a decision maker. He doesn't understand decisions. It's like he doesn't get it. It's so frustrating. I mean, he has moments where he just is really flighty in the pocket and runs away for no reason. There's no pressure around you, dude. Why are you running out of the pocket? What's happening? Don't run away. Stay in the pocket. And then you have Quinton Flowers, who's a better runner, but he can't throw as well. He's also inconsistent. He's actually a better decision maker. He just can't get the ball there. It's like, ah! We have one guy who's got a beautiful arm. We have one guy who's better decision maker, but and can run. If we could just combine them into one quarterback, they'd be great, but they're not. They both have their own strengths and weaknesses, and neither's really that great. And I've been lobbying for Quinton Flowers. The more I watch Quinton Flowers play quarterback, the less I feel that way. Um, but I will say this, you know, Taylor Cornelius, the, the taller, you know, more stereotypical quarterback, you know, he's a, he's a better thrower of the football, but it's, he's only marginally better. He's not that much better. He just looks pretty when he throws and you're like, ah, if only we could, you know, Taylor Cornelius feels like a gigantic missed opportunity, but that's not on the coaching staff to fix him. That's on Taylor Cornelius to fix himself. And, and, you know, the one touchdown pass Taylor Cornelius threw in this game was a screen pass. And he, I, I, your grandmother could have made that throw. It's like, there you go. Throw it out wide. Let the receiver do all the work. There's a quick screen to a receiver. I don't know. Now, Quinton Flowers, I, I've been lobbying and lobbying and kind of begging the Tampa Bay Vipers to play him. And he, he can finish drives. Here's the difference between him and Cornelius. Taylor Cornelius can drive you down the field. He gets to the red zone and is screwed because you got to either run the ball traditionally or throw the ball. Quinton Flowers' ability to run makes the defense have more things to worry about. If it were me, anytime I get within the 10-yard line, bam, Quinton Flowers is the quarterback. That's it. That, I think, is part of what could solve the red zone woes for the Tampa Bay Vipers. They had an opportunity, first and goal, second and goal, third and goal, fourth and goal. They didn't get it. He couldn't score at the end of the game. And part of it was on Taylor Cornelius' inability to be mobile. So, I don't know, man. I I think, you know, it's interesting. The first offensive touchdown of the season for the Tampa Bay Vipers was Quinton Flowers in the second quarter of this game. That's telling. Quinton Flowers is the playmaker in Tampa Bay. He's not the guy, stereotypically, that has the best arm. Like, Taylor Cornelius throws a much better more beautiful ball. He's tall. You want him to be the guy, but he's a missed opportunity because Taylor Cornelius, I don't think, does the work mentally. If it were me, and I'm Mark Trustman, I say, I'm scared for my job. 
I'm gonna go with Brandon. I'm gonna go with Quinton Flowers. Keep wanting to call him Brandon. Don't know why. I'd go with Quinton Flowers. I'd build an offense around his ability to run the ball. Just be safe. Do what works. Build an offense that way. Study what the Ravens did with Lamar Jackson. Copy that, please. I'm begging you. Okay, the New York Guardians lost on Sunday, 29 to nine, and uh, there is no team in the entire XFL playing worse football than the New York Guardians. Now, Week One, New York beat the Vipers. Since that moment, New York has taken a nosedive and exploded on the ground, and the Vipers just keep getting steadily better and better and better. The Vipers almost won; they almost beat the Houston Roughnecks on Saturday. Meanwhile, the New York Guardians are imploding. They're falling apart. And there are so many problems. I want to take you through a play. There was a play that was third and four. And this play completely illustrates two points I want to make. Number one, the awful pass protection. There are so many moments where the quarterbacks, no matter who's playing for the New York Guardians, where quarterbacks don't have an opportunity to be successful because there are guys coming free in their face. If you catch the ball and there's already a guy sacking you or hitting you or in your face, you have no chance. You're screwed. And that's what happens all the time in New York. And number two, you have bad play calls. So it was third and four, which means you only need four yards. You got to get four yards. And New York left seven guys in the block and St. Louis brought a five-man rush. What that means is you have seven guys to block five. Seven people Blocking five people. You have, the offense had the numbers advantage. New York had the advantage. And yet still somehow, not one, two people came free after Matt McGloin, the quarterback. Two people immediately were in Matt McGloin's face when you had two extra bodies to block their five guys. You had seven people to block their five, and Matt McGloin still had two people in his face on the snap. And here's the bigger sin. It's third and four. For some reason, please I, explain to me, the Guardians had three receivers, all of them running vertically, all of them deep downfield, not even looking for the ball quickly, which means that Matt McGloin didn't have an outlet because Matt McGloin, in theory, at least could have said, hey, I'm going to catch the ball, guy in my face, let me throw it underneath. There was nobody underneath. It's third and four. Why in the world is everybody running vertically? Unless maybe I guess the thought process is, hey, we're going to go for it on fourth and four if we don't get it. We're going to take a shot here. That's stupid. I just don't. Here's the problem with the play calling in New York. It feels aimless. It's like they're guessing. There's not a plan. There's not a thought process like, hey, the defense is doing this, so let's react and do this. They're just calling whatever they feel like, hoping it works, rather than saying, hey, it's cover two. We should call a cover two beater. They're playing man coverage. It's third and four. They're probably going to blitz. Let's have a guy go short underneath so we can steal yards and try to beat a guy across the middle on man coverage. Or, hey, uh, I, <laughs> I don't understand. I just every time I'm like, or, hey, there's a light box. And they're backed way off. Let's run the ball. Something, right? But New York doesn't seem to have that kind of process, thought process where they're like, hey, let's react to the defense. They're just like, well, let's just hope that cross your fingers, hope it works. And Matt McGloin gets increasingly frustrated, the quarterback in New York, and I don't blame him. Now, Matt McGloin cannot lose his composure the way he has. Matt McGloin, the quarterback, I think it's got to be done in New York. His body language is terrible. He's just frustrated, but I, I, he's in a, a situation where he can't win, so I don't blame him. I, I, if I'm Matt McGloin, I might even be like, look, we can't win here. Our coaching is a problem. Our offensive line is terrible. 
Is this even worth doing? Because I, I have in no opportunity. I'm getting no opportunity to succeed. It's making me just look terrible uh, from a fan perspective. Nobody understands, and I'm getting increasingly furious. So I don't know what to do here, man. It's really, really bad. It's really, really frustrating. I like Matt McGloin. He's one of my favorite quarterbacks of all time. He's not handling all this nonsense well. But the culture of New York's football team, the Guardians, is terrible. Even on the very first drive, the very first drive of the entire game, everybody's yelling at everybody. And it literally feels like everybody hates each other. Everybody in the New York Guardians, offensive line, quarterback, receivers, coach, they're all yelling at each other. They literally, the coaches had to be ble- like bleeped out because they were yelling F-bombs and stuff at each other. So the, the audio would cut out because they can't obviously play that. It's, it's wild. It's like, wh- what is going on? And on the fourth drive, there was a third and seven where... <laughs> the fourth drive of the game, there was a third and seven where the New York Guardian got stopped. And everybody on the sideline for the Guardians looked shell-shocked. Coach... Quarterback, offensive coordinator, the lineman. Everybody looked out of it. Everybody looked defeated. They just looked like they'd gotten, like their mom died. Or their favorite puppy died. They just were all like so defeated. There was no fight. There was no motivation, no inspiration. After four possessions, the Guardians looked like a team that was ready to just give up and walk away and go home. Like, uh, why did we even take a flight out to St. Louis? I don't know. At that point, they were losing 15-3, to which is not an insurmountable lead at all. On third and seven, they threw for like two yards, so it's fourth and five. They go to punt. Punt gets blocked. Ball game. Ball game over. By halftime, the game was 23-3. to New York did not score a touchdown until like seven minutes left in the fourth quarter, the very end of the fourth quarter. Playing awful football. Useless on offense, useless on defense. Can't even make special teams work. And the issue here is leadership. The New York Guardians have an attitude problem. It seems really silly. Attitude? It's honest, though. It's important. I'm not sure Matt McGloin should be the guy anymore in New York. He's not a good example. He's not leading people well. He's handled a crisis in New York horribly. And you would have thought, he, he played quarterback at Penn State at a very tumultuous time in Penn State. You would think that Matt McGloin was better at handling crisis. He's not been good at handling crisis in New York at all this time. I think maybe the New York Guardians should go to Luis Perez at quarterback. Marquise Williams played quarterback for a little bit. He was pretty ineffective, couldn't really run around enough. He Really the only successful thing they did with him was run the ball and throw screen passes. Now Luis Perez came in calm, Poise, unfazed, unflappable, getting rid of the ball quickly, understanding, hey, I got to get the ball out of my hands. It worked. I think maybe New York desperately needs a quarterback who can set a good example, and Luis Perez might be exactly that. But I'm telling you, New York is an undisciplined mess of a football team. The defense keeps getting called for penalties, which extended drives over and over. Third down, fourth down, a punt got They ran into the kicker on fourth and two, giving St. Louis a first down over and over and over again. New York shot themselves in the foot, extended drives on defense, giving St. Louis more and more first downs. They have no offensive identity. They're just calling plays, hoping they work, rather than strategically reacting to the defense. 
I mean, there was a second and goal situation where they called a running play from the two-yard line three plays in a row rather than just running the ball into the end zone. I'm telling you, the New York Guardians are an aimless mess of a football team, and they got to change a lot in a hurry. This is why you have to really respect what happened with the L.A. Wildcats. The L.A. Wildcats were headed in this direction. And Winston Moss, the head coach of L.A., said, Nope, Anthony Johnson, captain, you're done. Chad Knopf, you started week one. You weren't our starter long term, but you were causing problems. You were yelling at people. We could have kept you. You're gone. They traded people. They got rid of people. L.A. said, We are going to cut the cancer out. If you're not in on my system, I'm Winston Moss. I'm the head coach. If you're not in with what I believe, you're not playing on this team. Winston Moss was willing to do it. New York was not. And it's really, really hurting them. All right, the St. Louis Battlehawks, I don't have a lot to say. I do not have a lot to say about the St. Louis Battlehawks. Um, you don't need to, man. They won 29-9 to over New York. Their home opener was sold out. It was phenomenal. I got to say, watching the St. Louis Battlehawks play in their home stadium, their dome in St. Louis, felt a lot like watching the New Orleans Saints play in their Mercedes-Benz dome in New Orleans. It just felt like a gigantic home field advantage. I was like, man, I don't know how you compete with that at all. And it was fun watching quarterback Jordan Ta'amu, who's really talented, play. I like it. Now, he's very inconsistent. Jordan Ta'amu has some great moments where like, there was a play where a guy was holding his leg and he stood up and he threw through the ball. It's like, that's awesome. On a third and 16, he made a beautiful out route through like a 14-yard gain. Dime. Perfect throw. But later, he would totally miss open guys. He takes sacks too much. Uh, it's not that Jordan Tom was bad. He's just learning. He's Brandon Silvers. Brandon Silvers wasn't bad. Jordan Tomu works hard. He's gotten better every single week. I feel good about him. He makes little small issues, but he's winning and he's succeeding, so I like Jordan Tomu. I also love his poise and his leadership. He really gets the moment and how to handle that kind of stuff. His team loves him. I am still concerned about St. Louis's offense in this respect. They're unremarkable. Can they beat a team like Houston? Can they beat P.J. Walker? I don't know. I don't believe that St. Louis's offense could keep up with the Houston Roughnecks. And part of why they put up 29 points on Sunday was because New York is awful. New York was just, New York is playing the worst football in the XFL, and they had so many penalties on third down. So how, how great do I feel about the St. Louis Battlehawks? Not that great, but I feel solid, and they're an interesting team, and as they get better and better, we'll keep watching what happens. But I'm telling you, I would not want to play St. Louis in St. Louis. That home field advantage, that crowd, is a gigantic advantage. I would not want to play them in St. Louis at all. I want to end up you know, with the St. Louis topic by saying that um, their backup, Taylor Henneke, is a great dude. It's really fun to watch him on the sideline. The backup quarterback is helping the starting quarterback. Who's, he's older. He's helping Jordan Tamu. He's cheering for, for him on the sideline. They're giving, he's like high-fiving, giving him a side hug. They celebrate together. They clearly have a good relationship, and... Taylor Henneke is a team-first guy. His ego is completely to the side. And that's exactly what you want in a backup quarterback. He's helpful. He's unselfish. I love St. Louis's culture. They're not the most flashy, incredible team, but they're unselfish. They play together. They're winning. It's fun. It's interesting. And they're St. Louis. I, I really like it. And I really enjoy watching the St. Louis Battlehawks win football games. All right, guys. That's all I have. I want to end the show with this. Uh, four years ago, my younger brother died. He's terrible. Uh, he took his life. My brother Zane committed suicide. And I learned two really painful lessons from that experience. Number one, if you're struggling, please go get help. 
do not suffer in silence. Uh, if you're struggling, if you're having a hard time, please reach out to somebody. Go get help. I'm encouraged. Um, if, if you can, talk to a human being. Talk to a school counselor. Talk to uh, a person, an authority figure in your life. Please talk to a real human being. If you have no human beings to talk to, then you can call the suicide hotline, 1-800-273-8255. The suicide hotline is 1-800-273-8255. If you have nobody else to talk to, call that number. But please, if you're struggling, don't suffer in silence. I went home one day. My brother was dead on the floor. He didn't tell anybody, didn't tell a soul he was having a hard time. Found him that way. Now, the other second painful lesson I learned in all this is that make sure the people know how much you love them. Make sure people in your life know you care about them, that if they're struggling, they can come talk to you. Uh, I hung out with my brother all the time, constantly. Played Halo together. We worked together at the car wash. We played football together in high school. <clears throat> and my brother never told me he was having a hard time. Never said, hey, Zach, uh, I'm struggling. Because we never had conversations like that. We talked about sports and movies and girls and football, and video games. That's, that's it. Very shallow surface level conversations. I encourage you. Don't be afraid to have conversations and tell people how much you care about them that you love and don't be afraid to be vulnerable. It's so important. Uh, guys, I appreciate you. I love you. I hope you have a great day. Ba-dum-bum. Bam, we are.